Margaret's office. Uh, it's Jerry. Who is this? I want to stay in New York for a while. What about your semester? I don't want to analyze other people's work anymore, Carl. I want to write. How about a literary agency? Great. But do you type on a typewriter? It's very different from typing on one of those computers. Did she give you her speech about the evils of the digital age yet? So there are no computers? I've seen them in action. They just make more work for everyone. You published poetry? Yes. Leave that out. Writers make the worst assistants. Get to work. There were hundreds of us working at literary agencies or publishing houses. We wanted to be writers ourselves. You're a novelist yourself? Joanna's my assistant. Welcome, salutation, hello, vidas, hey everybody, it's once again Sharon Smith or Resolution or whatever you feel like calling me, don't call me Dirtbag, and this is Iambic Poetry Podcast, what up, I'm, well it's, it's too to wait hot to woo, it is, I'm once again here and this is real poetry. I'm here once again with my two popcorn snatchers in the afternoon. Marvin and Auntie Vice, say what up. What up? What up? It's too hot. It's 105 degrees in Sacramento. And it's terrible. Yes. Terrible. Thank, thank you, Mr. Weatherman. If and there I mean, was a God, your God is a terrible God for making this happen. Well, you know, you know the old saying is, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. There you go. <laughs> you already laughs at my life abundantly. <laughs> and we're here to talk about the movie, the two thousand the two the twenty twenty movie, My Salinger Years. It is based on a book, a memoirs by Joanna by the with the same name by Joanna Ray Raycloth Raycoff Raycoff. Raycoff, yes. And it goes into the midst of her years as a literary agent at um, Herbert Ob- um, Auburn Association uh, Associates, and all the things she had to intertwine with not only meeting J.D. Salinger, but also meeting um, uh, Judy Bloom, also meeting, um, I think she had like, what was that one woman? What was her name? Kim or Eric? Meet a, basically, meet a lot of writers. And a lot of other, they didn't go into too many poets, but they talked about a lot of writers, even though she was writing poetry and also doing literary writing. Anywho, this one has the um, actors of Margaret Cal- um, Margaret Cowley, um, Cowley, Quali, Quali, Q-U-A-L-L-E-Y, Sigourney Weaver. Hmm. She's back in the scene, and a slew of other artists in this in this movie. So let me give you the synopsis. It basically and the thing starts off in fall of 1995. Hmm. I was in the military. That was five. <sighs> <laughs> so 
you want you want to give anything about your side, Auntie Vice, or no? Uh, I just watched. I just I saw saying- the. I just saw that both of them want to stab me in their eyes. It's awesome. <laughs> I was the executive director of an AIDS foundation in Southern California in 1995. So, yeah, I'm a wee bit older than Marvin. Wee bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was still in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know which is worse, Oklahoma or uh, Big Field. <laughs> 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 oh no this is the this is the memoirs of um joanna ratcliffe and her time and her time meeting so many other people as a literary agent but also meeting a recluse author named jd salinger jd's if you all don't know jay salinger is jd salinger is the person who wrote the catcher on the ride bam and that's the starter it's also called, I've also read that it's also called My New York Years. Interesting book. Interesting. And that one, that book came out in 2014. So technically, if you look at it six years later, made a movie. Hmm, good, good point, a good analogy. You know, just, just like how we did our previous one, um, quarterly quarter life poetry, that actually took about the about the same amount of time. So it's like four or five years. They always start off to get a movie. Hmm. So Let's go with our initial thoughts. Marvin. Oh, I just could not stand this movie. <laughs> oh, <good grief. laughs> it was it was absurdly pretentious. Something about it just felt so absurd and pretentious to me. I understand this is real life and it was based on some woman like some woman's accounting of what happened. But her character was just so unlikable. Everybody in this movie was so unlikable. And I'm, I'm saying this right now. I was never, I mean, I liked The Catcher in the Rye, but I was never a fan of it. And I think as I got older, I just felt like Holden's behavior, his feelings, and his emotions were just super angsty. And if his character was a real person, I would imagine him like any normal punk growing up in the 70s. They were rebellious, they got old, and then they became part of the fold. Group punks don't go with the fold, and I just feel like that's what it was. This movie was stupid. The characters are bland, and I really hate the guy that the main character was dating. Oh God, he was the worst. Oh Don, Don. Oh yeah, he was the worst. (laughs) Auntie Vice. I, you know, this is going to be one of those movies where Marvin and I don't line up, which is rare. Mm -hmm. I uh. I was in New York in the late 90s. Um, I moved to New York in 98 for graduate school. And, oh, my God, it reminds me of every fucking English grad student I encountered. Like, oh, these were very, very identifiable. These were the people who were in my dorms um, and thinking they were doing great things. Um, when she decides to do a, be a literary agent and she wants to be a writer, all I hear is a friend of mine saying, never get an agent who wants to do whatever you're doing because it's going to be a competition in their head. You want to get somebody who's dedicated to your career, not theirs. And so I'm thinking, oh, don't be a literary agent. That's a stupid move. Um, but it's also a very common move. And... I knew so many people in their, you know, mid twenties in New York who 
just resembled everybody in this film. So for me, it was like, oh, she really captured it. They may be unlikable, and lots of them were unlikable. And man, Don was a douchebag. But in terms of 90 <laughs> douchebag writers, God, we know all so many of them. Um, we, we know a bunch of them in plenty of the places we go. <laughs> yes. Oh, the douchebags you will know and the douchebags you will see. Um, but I think she really captured New York at that period of time, that, that group of folk, um, you know, and being wide-eyed and, oh, my God look at these literary giants i'm i'm running with and you know um i i thought did a really good job of portraying all of that and the the issue that so many people have with writing is they want to write but they don't actually write <laughs> they may have one or two good pieces and then they dick around for years between before they get to the rest of it and uh i i think that's very true to life too i mean i've I've coached enough people who've dicked around for five, seven, ten years with a book, and they're they're a chapter in, um, and they want to be you know the great American novelist. Um, so yeah, I think she did a great job of capturing it. Not that the characters were likable at all, um, but you know the piano didn't have a single fucking likable character, and it was up for Oscars. So <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> So <laughs> the box office of, the, of this movie was thirty four thousand. So that was the box office of this movie. Um, I didn't. I didn't find a budget for it. But anyway, um, that couldn't have been Sigourney <laughs> Weaver's paycheck for it. Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely! Damn, thirty four thousand. Yep, that's like lunch in Hollywood. Fuck. <laughs> but <laughs> but this movie did make uh, this movie. So. I know they kept on throwing poetry as like a, I hate to say it, it was more of a, um, one of those elephants in the room where it's like, yeah, we do it, but we don't want to do it. And in every person, literally all the literary agents were just like, yeah, but poetry doesn't. <laughs> and then the even, lights don't exactly get turned on. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and even the point of, even the point of, um, how Sigourney Reeves character Margaret, how she how she kept on explaining how she's affiliated with um with books and literacy. She doesn't really look at it as I love this book, I love the way this thing. She looks at it as how much can I sell this? And I kind of looked at that as okay, she's more she's more looking in the cons- as a consumer. It's an um, agent. Yeah, she's looking how much can I sell this book for, even though. Even though she represents so many other people, she's not really looking at. She's she has the selfishness already ready to go, has the lineup for what's going to happen, and also how to work the press to her favor. Because the whole thing about Salinger was his reclusiveness, not only became his um his curse, but also became one of the things she had to deal with every time. Even though he'll call on regular occasions and just want to talk to her. And she had to make, she had to actually formulate her group of um, people to take his call and say these certain words. She also had to deal with the fact that she had other people like Ju- like um, Judy Bloom or even um, Rachel Crust. Um, she had these other um, authors come in, but she always dealt with them all differently. More more as all right, this is how we're going to sell you. This is how we're going to do. This is what we're going to do for your book. 
did you feel that um Sigourney we was from capture the character of being well she's been she's been capturing the characters of being ruthless in a lot of movies but how about this one what do you think i think she did well i think kind of like on device she captured the agent very well and i think this is not just any literary standpoint but any kind of industry mm-hmm. that requires an agent to help you move whatever you just created sometimes you get you have someone who has to focus on it more business-minded rather than someone's own creative need they remind you of whatever obligation that needs to be met in order to get whatever cash advance that they gave you to be profitable they they that's just what they are that's their nature and sigourney captures this no nonsense but pretty much to the business of every end of everything very well auntie vice well, and and it is true i mean literary agents are concerned with whether or not this is going to sell and how much money it makes because we know bullshit gets published <laughs> 50 shades <laughs> mm. Uh, what are you talking about it's the greatest thing to ever come out in print and then it came a movie (laughs) and i'm done next will be on wax let's just say as i uh, the most offensive thing in it it to me is the writing like the writing is so poor like every other criticism goes by the wayside because the writing fucking sucks but you know it made a shit ton of money and that's what agents are interested in is is how much you can and i think that's very true to life and you know you can have great literary works passed over by major publishing houses because it's not going to make a lot of money the end the other thing with the poetry that was interesting is while they're poo-pooing it this is at the point where the new york poets cafe is flourishing right like late 90s early early aughts i mean the that scene was was booming. I think ninety eight is right. when um, Russell Simmons did Deaf Poetry Jam, right. mm-hmm. and you know, so you really see the split between uh, the black and Latinx approach to literature and poetry versus the the white uh, publishing world, and I I think that's very true to life too with this. Oh. It, it showed the it showed the friction of. The division. Uh, one thing that always cracked that cracked me up the most on this whole this whole movie excursion was the fact that she felt computers everything. Or she felt that P, um, computers were not an option for writers. She really didn't. She really didn't, had no. She was basically had a phobia for the whole damn thing. She made sure mm-hmm. nobody had a computer. Her they've been open since um, 1920s. And they were still they they just they just just started using dictaphones and they were still using typewriters, but they had no computers in the whole place. Uh, that was one thing that cracked. And then when they get a computer, it was almost as if <laughs> the computer was like a fan. <laughs> they hooked it up, and they didn't even know if it's on or off. She looked at it. Is it on? Is it off? Okay. Well, we're just gonna we're just gonna use this just so we because people. And she was shocked that people are actually putting stuff on their web logs. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the I forgot that word was used back in the days, web logs. When blogs weren't used yet, they used web logs. <laughs> they didn't call them blogs yet, they call them web See, logs. See how I realized it was from the 90s at first? It was Uh-oh. like when they showed me that computer, it was like, who doesn't use anything? <laughs> 
who doesn't do that? And then they kept going, someone recalls. I was like, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. He died in the 2000s. And then, so I was like, is it this like before like his final years that we're watching here? And then all of a sudden, the moment they showed the computer, like, oh, that's why. In the and 90s. I, and I actually looked at it. It was a compact. I was like, oh, I know that computer. <laughs> <laughs> I know the big, I know the big monitor. I looked at this. I was like, that's a compact. Yeah, it's like, and I think I think they said even point out that she liked it because it was black. <laughs> it's like what? In all fairness, that sounds like something I would do though. Part I of mean, my decision. I am surprised they didn't bust out a freaking Mac. I was like, okay, at least they didn't bust out a Mac, and that was that was one good thing I I was kind of happy for. It's like they didn't bust out a freaking Mac. But all in all, um, the thing about her her um phobia for computers and stuff i and even the fact that even with um dictaphones and stuff it seems that it almost as if they had a thing just like we have now with some people who have this thing of what records have and what mp3s have it's like we don't they don't get that same essence or even the same thing with people who have typewriters and then computer um, computers it's Still, the, there's, there's still a division there. We watch a show. I, well, I watch a show called Generation Gap. If you ever watch this on ABC, has um, Kelly Ripa. Sucks. It grates on my every last living nerve. Thank you very much. And it has baby boomers with Gen Zers and doing quizzes mm-hmm. on each other's um, generation. Um, uh, uh, so they eventually, they essentially just did the Ellen thing where Ellen invites mm-hmm. kids onto it and they make fun of them for not understanding old school technology. But the whole point of it is like, technology's evolved. What yes. the fuck does it matter, Ellen? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that kind of look of how that is. So I'm, my biggest thing I, I was going to ask you to is, first one, did, did you ever use a dictaphone, um, Marvin? No, no, I have not. I didn't even know what that was in all the movies. <laughs> A dictaphone is technically the mini cassettes that used to be um, back in the days. Used to be mini cassettes to basically um, to do a lot of memos and also do a lot of speeches on. So they had when they record those when they call those little mini cassettes, they actually had a recorder, or actually had a player that would play it for you, and you can just basically have those little mini cassettes instead of the phone being your your recorder. You had a little tape recorder, what they call a dictaphone. Okay, so well, just- and then you can change the speed of playback yep. so you can type it. Uh, while listening. Yeah. yeah, I remember the movie mentioning that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Even the way she was playing, like, I think you push this button and then you push that one, but no. you'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, you know, this Ask movie's you. definitely taught me a few things on like Mulan okay. 20. <laughs> there we go. He's in there. It is, and it is funny how the movie came out in 2020. So and it actually had made a little money. Uh, that's the funny part. I was like, "Wow, that thing actually it's a tiny bit of money, tiny bit, but it made money." Even even though it also had awards, this movie got awards. I was surprised to find that out. Uh, most of the awards came from Canada. They worked up. They worked out the Canadian Screen Awards and got one award for that, and that was for hair. Best hair. <laughs> 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 they got best hair and then also got one for the the picks the picks isis that's another canadian award which got for best music so that's the but they did get everyone else they get a nomination even sigourney weaver got nominated for best actress for this thing but she did not win 
of 2021. So it's, like I said, it's funny how even though 2020 people look at it as the bad year, there are still movies coming out, including Milan. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Damn it, Disney. Damn it, Disney. This is a period piece. Normally, we are a period piece we see. They're always back in the 1900s and, or, or further back and stuff. This one was in 1995. So what did you feel? What did you enjoy? Well, like, Auntie Vice, you enjoyed a few things. What did you enjoy? about the period piece on device and what did you not care care for? I actually thought it was really well done and did a great job at capturing the the period itself. Like I I do think it captured that late nineties, New York feeling. And, you know, for folks who are trying to make it as writers and, you know, these kind of highfalutin careers, uh, the douchebaggery that goes along with, so much of that uh, i think they did a great job at that and just kind of struggling in new york where you could still as a as a young working couple find a house to rent way out in queens like that you know five hundred dollars man damn <laughs> spot on. okay but, 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 okay you gotta help me here you gotta help me you gotta help me here because i was not in the obviously at five i was clearly making five hundred dollars a month a month clearly clearly okay. how much was that or how hard was that by today's standard in comparison to say um probably a thousand see at that point i was making 42.5 a year as a secretary at philip morris so you know 500 a month isn't a stretch that's what you could make you know the Doing uh, doing secretarial work, you could pay that. So, but that was so not reasonable. near Manhattan. That was way out um, in one of the boroughs. Still doesn't matter. It's still pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No sink yeah. though. No sink. I can't think. Yeah, that's the only thing I don't think I could have done. <laughs> See, I I looked at so many places when I was renting back there where like you shared. You're, you'd have an apartment and it would have a bedroom and a kitchen, but the bathroom was down the hall and you shared it with the entire floor. Uh, or um, like dorm I had some where the bathtub and toilet were in the kitchen. I've heard that. Um, that I looked at. And yeah, I mean, there were, there were lots of, and that is right before a lot of parts of Brooklyn start to gentrify. So like in 99 i had a one plus uh on a third floor walk up in park slope for 1200 a month which was a pretty decent deal at that time i mean it was like an 800 square foot railroad flat apartment um right before park slope really gentrified after it went from shooting gallery but before it got to to what it was um the same apartment today is going for a about uh, $5,500 a month. Um, God dang. So, yeah, it skyrocketed. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, San Francisco wasn't much different from that. Like, rent now, what is like $4,000? Never would have been a thing back in the 90s. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Right. There's a a reason worstroom.com is now a website. (laughs) Um, And we'll just make you feel so much better about any place you rent. Oh, God. (laughs) 
like you're hurtful. <laughs> um, <laughs> they did have one. They did have one thing they 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 put a lot of time into, and that was the and that was the death of Daniel. So Daniel was the, the actual gentleman. Mm-hmm. We find out that it was actually Margaret's lover, but you would never know. You thought you thought Daniel was actually like the partner, or because you found out he had a wife. Me and Helen, mm-hmm. his wife, that was right next to Rachel when they went to the little cafe. But you also would think of as Daniel as like her other commandant. You, you know, he very, he's very, he's very on this like a partner with her, and was just like, "Hey, what are you doing? Don't, don't send her away." And, it's like, and you know, she didn't really give a damn. She's like, "I'm, I'm in charge. You know, back up. I take care of this." And you know, just he's, he's more of a just a. I thought one time I thought he was like a. a, a a, a mythic conscious when I first met him, I was like, is that guy in there <laughs> just on this interview? <laughs> Cause he's just, he's just sitting there just chilling. It's like, mm-hmm. yep. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. and that's like, sure. I'm Daniel. Whereas she'll have little, she'll Daniel was, what did you think about Daniel? Cause Daniel character was, it wasn't like he was, you didn't find out more about him until later on that he, she, he actually helped her help Margaret out on her first book. Uh, um, sell and helped her um um you know market it out because she she enjoyed the the um book's author and the book itself when she when she sat down when she sat down joanna and told her um told her a story about her first um self or a book that she wrote well she didn't write it she um read for this um author what do you think about daniel marvin you know I think, like you said, I was really confused at first because our first introductory scene, you definitely got the sense that he and Margaret were very close. Right. The more scenes you saw, the more it was like either there's a unspoken, unrequited love or a secret office tryst going on. And then it's not on, until you meet the wife, his wife, do you, did I at least start going, all right, so definitely a secret love office love affair until the death and everything goes on with him committing suicide then mentioning the polygamy and everything that a lot of puzzle pieces get start getting fixed and i gotta say if real life margaret daniel and his wife figured this out to a t where they were happy with this arrangement good on them if not man this is the saddest thing in the world and his suicide only furthers that sadness. Yeah. We, we, we found out that he is bipolar. That was one thing that was interesting. Oh, yeah, exactly. That, I, and I think that's kind of what makes it a little bit more sad. It's just no two... I mean, not that they should have been able to fix anything regarding mental illness. The only person who can really get to fix it, essentially, is the person who, who takes accountability and asks for that type of help it shouldn't have been on either of those two women but it was just man that is so sad what do you think about auntie vice finding out about daniel um i think it makes it more complicated to understand the test relationship style mm-hmm. um but i mean there's plenty of us who live with bipolar you know including me and <laughs> if it's not well managed it can be a bitch to live with us. Like, um, 
you know, it is, it, it's not easy. And I get needing to split that chair because we can be exhausting if it's not a well-managed, you know, diagnosis. But I mean, it's unclear whether or not this was a happy arrangement. If this was because he was difficult, you know, all of the, there's a lot of questions left mm-hmm. open. Right. Um, but I was also okay with that. Did I'm gonna switch yours. Did you figure out? Did you find the whole point of all the little excerpts of the of the letters she was reading from all these people? Um, an added added part to it, or was it more of a complex that just they could have just pushed off of? What do you think about the the Salinger letters that were read to, and then one specific one? I think it goes to her motivation and how she comes into this world, um, and why she's never going to be a great literary agent because she can't just shut that off mm-hmm. marvin no i agree with funky vice whole, wholeheartedly i think including the right. including the boy that was from um in, uh when uh, salem salem Winston yeah salem that she keeps I on think, having my mindset on and i don't think it's anything wrong with people who can turn off that type of empathy when they have to do their job as long as it doesn't willfully harm someone but Mm-hmm. For someone like her, that very clearly means that, yes, while she can perform her job duties, it doesn't mean it doesn't affect her to some level of degree and sense. Her, her obviously writing that letter to that damn teenager, if that was something that actually happened, is an obvious proof of that. And this is by far the funniest thing I will say. Whatever happened, if you want to uphold the spirit of Holden, you must not let what others think of you affect you. Is like, oh man, that was so patronizing. It really was. It really was. It was very cracking me. <laughs> and even the fact that she came to the actual office herself and actually—Are you kidding me? I would have done the same damn thing. I would really? have absolutely done the same. I would not have been that entitled. I never would have been that entitled. But if someone was that patronizing to me. I would have done the same damn thing. So you say if it was somebody you that's written in Sacramento, you would have walked out. You would where they at? Okay, cool. I'm going over there right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. I would have been surprised when that one. It's like, mm, let's see how this goes down. <laughs> um, the characters in the um co-work, the co- co-workers in the office and stuff. How did you feel about them? Or oh, actually. Let's go with the coworkers, and then I also want to go into Carl. When we find out Carl is actually a, um, he's a Middle Easterner, which I was actually mm-hmm. surprised on that whole thing. I was like, oh, that's Carl. Okay, cool. But let's go with the, how'd you feel about all that's the. That's a strange name. It's a very white name for him. <laughs> it is true. Well, yeah, I know. It is, isn't it? Says the person who's named Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese guy who's named Marvin. <laughs> I mean, it's such a weird white name to give to a person. Of, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it happens, though, is all I'm saying. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, there, there are reasons for these things, but it was well, just. Yeah. I think at least like just purely based on a lot of things I've heard, at least like growing up and everything like that. Like for a lot of the at least I can only speak for Chinese people is a lot of times it's just like, why would we, if we were here, why would we continue to use our old names in the old country that does not help us progress further? Like I actually heard one of my old 
friends like his dad like is an engineer now like he now goes back by his like normal name which was like lee or something like that like it's something hard mm-hmm. for most people to pronounce but like for like, us even americanized ones like we'll pronounce it they'll still be a little wrong but his argument was always they're never going to pronounce my name why would i on my resume before they even see me why would i be my full chinese name when i can be larry chen they'll at least give me a 50 50 shot rather than he probably doesn't speak english next (laughs) well and and there is a real reason for that like there is a lot of bias and getting past that name on the resume i mean that screws over a lot of folks still because people still have that that bias yeah so i can absolutely see how some guy who came from the middle east is going call me carl (laughs) i would also like to say it's really fun though as someone who is like not white and then you have a lot of people but what's your real name it's fucking Marvin. It's on the birth certificate, Marvin. you asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, uh, is, it, is that what your parents call me at home? Your home at home? If they want to, it's not in your business what they call me at home. I, I do love the fact that how mad they are. It's not mad they are. Yeah. Oh. Sometimes it's your full name. Yes, <laughs> I get that all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> I do love that Carl came. Edwin Smith. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, they do Edwin. announce the whole thing. Thank you for reminding my name is the middle. Oh, I just, uh, yeah, I had to out it. That is, your middle name gets me. Why does it, it just, get you? It's so not you. You are not an Edwin. Well, so I'm an Edwin. Edwin Smith. Yes. Sis. Yes, it is <laughs> sis. But I, there's, there's, a, there's an extra story on that. Um, my son is an Edwin, I'm an Edwin, and my dad was an Edwin, and I have a grandfather way back that was an Edwin, too. That's where it comes from. Go figure. Mm. There's a history there. Um, why is it not the first name? Why is it not the first name? I feel like it would have been the first name thing, though. Why would I want to be the thank god it wasn't the first name? That'd be a weirdest (laughs) thing called Edwin Smith in this whole place. I don't, I'm not, it would be Eddie. No, no, (laughs) Mm -mm. no. Um, I thought it was funny that Carl comes in with a with a. I think he had a clarinet. I think mm-hmm. it was a clarinet or a pan flute. It was a clarinet. It was a clarinet. I was like, mm-hmm. that, is, uh, that is so damn Berkeley right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was hardcore. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was like, is he coming with a clarinet? Oh, he did too. Playing oh, Claire de Lune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a california kid right there the only thing uh, i'm missing from that is one of those little newsboy paper hats that they love <laughs> oh my God, you nailed it. <laughs> like that's the only thing missing from that entire ensemble of that character <laughs> uh i got two things left and then i want to go into our our snap judgment the new yorker it seems she had a such a fan she was fanning out about the new yorker so badly I mean, even before she took her collection of poems and took them there, she's seemed like the New York was like that upper echelon. Do you feel like sometimes that, did you feel that way sometimes with when you go do publications and go to these places and you figure you figure out the New Yorker is the pinnacle? Because it seems like a lot of times people used to say the New York Times was the pinnacle or the um, Washington uh, Post, these, these um, literary... For, 
forgetting literary stories published yeah the times and the and the new yorker and stuff it's a it's a huge deal it's still a huge deal yeah mm-hmm. i mean i don't i the new yorker if i mean you recall is still one of the most widely bought and read publications that's still out in actual print like they they're still going mm-hmm. really strong while other like newspaper and other per- print media is dying out like the new yorkers still chugging along mm-hmm. uh, you can argue, you can see where that respect that notoriety comes from now add on the fact that this was 20 years 30 years prior oh yeah that's even bigger yeah that's 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 good now I'm going to get into the boyfriend, Don. Oh, my favorite part. <laughs> Don the douche. Don the douche. The right. socialist. <laughs> how do you feel? <laughs> as Rory started off, how do you feel about Don? And also about her, find out that the manuscript he was writing was kind of his, his sexual memoirs <laughs> of, his, of his escapades back in the days and stuff that she had a, that she was kind of, editing hardcore on that <laughs> everything he was saying <laughs> well, okay Auntie watch i can see i can see she's ready to oh, go <laughs> oh i absolutely do not blame her for doing what she did I would, <laughs> dude you you have to be like some kind of narcissist to be like hey babe booba Ed, booba <laughs> edit my work about all my sexual fe- adventures that might not even be true mm-hmm <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, and as somebody who helps folks write erotica, there is so much shit. There is so much bad fantasy writing out there. And yeah, I could I I I felt her on that one. It was like, oh man, just and then reading it from your partner and realizing they suck. Um, part of it reminded me of the what we do in the shadows moment where oh. they're hosting the orgy. Oh, yeah. Nadja realizes finds uh Nandor Nandor's like showing all oh, of yeah. his old porno old erotic and she's like, it's just so boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the word it's not the problem that he made it, it's the problem that it sucked. <laughs> And uh, and here she has been working and supporting them while he's been writing direct. That is, he can He kind of gave it to her as she was leaving. It's like, you're, you're, I'm, I got a gift for you. What my manuscript? How's that a gift? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even the fact that she's like going through like, oh boy, panties, <laughs> her panties off of her. It's like oh, okay. I did. The biggest thing they did kick up was the fact that he did not tell her that her their friends that his friends were getting married, and he didn't want to bring her. And he pointed out his friend called her, "You're you're an asshole." (laughs) Oh, you know he definitely cheated on her during the wedding. Oh, you know he definitely. But, but even even with that in mind, she. You know, she, he tried to explain in this weird way, his words was, I can still love you, but I want to take you to the wedding. What's wrong with that? I'm older than you. So when you get to my age, you'll understand what I mean when I say about this part. I'm like, this guy is really trying to get her on his side, but it's not really working. What the fuck? <laughs> Even... I don't know. I think she. Could, I think she should. I think she should have left even before he got home. She just basically just. Like, I'm out. 
I was already out already. We don't have to wait for you. Because he wasn't thinking of it anyways. Like, I'm not thinking of you anyway. What what the fuck? But do you feel that her, she waited too long? Well, technically, she she didn't break up with Carl. And Carl sent a letter, and she didn't answer that. She she just kind (laughs) of ghosted him. She she kept him in the back burner. You know she went back to him. Yeah, she wanted to go back. It was like, oh, exciting. And and just the fact that she lied about saying I read your letter and then came back and said, you know, I really didn't read your letter. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I I got to dear Joe and I was I was done. I was like, wow. you know, I changed my mind. The only person I really felt bad for was Carl. Carl. Why? He got poor dude got ghosted. But he went on and he had he, he went on his business. I mean, he wrote her friend. And then, and then her friend told her, "It's like, yeah, you know, Carl's gonna be in Washington. Just go check That's him out." That's right. I forgot that. I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot that. Forgot that. Never mind. But that was the point. Don sucks. <laughs> yes, Don does suck. Oh, he absolutely sucks. Yeah, he sucked hard. Well, so since- I posted in a link of of the type of erotica I'm, I'm picturing Don writing, and it's all the things of why men should not write women in erotica. And these are some of the best. Oh, it's just we'll have to put the link in the show notes because yes. the descriptions are are fucking amazing. I'm gonna have to read through this. You just gave me like a bunch of material to she, read. Thank you. When she stopped crying, <laughs> Madeline composed herself before the mirror. Her skin looked blotchy. Her breast, of which she was normally proud, had withdrawn into themselves as if depressed. Okay. Are breasts penis now? A <laughs> breast. Just don't get depressed. I, I... Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I, 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 Some I of them need to take a human Dino anatomy his... class more than they need a human sexuality class. <laughs> Dino put his feet up and chatted for a couple of minutes, and then he put down his phone and returned to the table. Okay, he said. The Emmy confirms his first estimate time of death. The girl had a tiny purse tucked into her vagina, just big enough to hold her driver's license, credit card, and a few bucks. Why was a clutch purse in her vagina? <laughs> you know, that's, that's okay. how we keep our purses, guys. We just tuck it up there. You know, Just like I was going to say, oh, snap. I think it's about that time for some snap judgment. Don't y'all feel the same? <laughs> oh, you know what? This no, we got to keep reading this. This this. this, this. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, when she's talking about Don's bad erotica, this is these are the type of things that that like popped into my head. And for f- folks who are out there, if you go to the Twitter men write women in erotica, it is the fucking funniest thread because they're horrible this one she was walking toward me dark curls bouncing woolen squares swaying in the rhythm of her hips breasts struggling to work the top button of her jacket loose uh with each confident stride so your breasts have thumbs like i got questions how are your breasts undoing your button are struggling to undo your <laughs> Oh, there's so much bad stuff. There's so much. And just like bad things, we're going to go into Snap Treasure where we rate and review. <laughs> Sounds like we're, 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 <laughs> this, we're, we're so awful. 2020 movie. With Snap Judge, we basically rate and review the movie that we have wondered and make sure and see if it's worth 
the snaps that we're going to give it. If it's three snaps, this movie is prime. This movie is great. It's as great as all the people she fanned out meeting during this movie. If it's two snaps, it's not that bad, but it's not that good. Just like COVID and 2020. If it's one snap, (laughs) if it's one snap, this movie is as bad as Don's manuscript and it should have gone in the trash. It should have gone, got burned. She should have peed on it and threw that crap away. Have you re-edits needed? Oh, edits were needed. We go in quarter snaps. And now we are going to close our eyes, count to three, and give our rebuttal to our vote to this movie. One, dos, three. And you know what? I give it two. All right. Two, this is new. one, and two. Oh, one and a half. Yeah, one and a half. Okay. One, one and a half, two, and two. So, Marvin, why did it not get the half? I think kind of like how we were talking about the last one. When the both of you mentioned how quarter life poetry was out of your age range, this definitely felt out of my age range. I definitely (laughs) see what Auntie Vices and you were both mentioning how this hits a lot of things for you. This added on with extremely unlikable people just kind of is why I have to give it what it is. I would also like to point out if Dom was a real person and he existed at this point in time, I would fight him. I would fight him. <laughs> I would fight his fake socialist ass. Auntie <laughs> Vice, why'd you give it to? It's a solid movie. It's not a brilliant movie, but it's it's solid. Yeah. And and to point out the character pick, this is an Auntie Vice pick. It didn't get as high regard as the other ones. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm always looked at as a bad guy picking some crappy ass movie. <laughs> hey, this this scored C's across the board. You you've picked some dogs. Yes. Speak to me in poetry. Bow wow wow yippee yo yippee yay what? <laughs> Bond twenty twenty. Hey, you have to see the bad to elevate the good. You have to figure out what to el- you know to equate it from. There you go. See, I helped y'all. Say so you're welcome. <laughs> I gave Bond it Bond twenty twenty. Just saying. <laughs> I gave it. Hey, and we had, kindergarten teacher. We had to see. Hey, Auntie Vice saw the Lion King live action. She fell asleep. Her her nephew Always went true. and he was and he was there watching with ah she was snoring up a storm. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I feel like this also says something about Disney. You could do a lot of live actions, but you don't need to do live actions. No, they only did it because they needed they need to refresh their um their movie their movie vault. That's all. That's all they do it for. They close the vault up for I think we need to refresh these suckers to, to get out of the theaters. They don't do anything else for that. Let's make these things live action. Woo. You know they had a black Cinderella, you know that. With yep. Brandy. And it was with Disney. So that's gonna show you something. Anyway, I gave it a two. I gave it to you because it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that good. It was right in the middle. I think Sigourney Weaver kind of kept it going, kept it going nonchalant. 
meeting actually you never see the you never see jd salinger's face which cracks me up to the whole damn movie i'm like when are they gonna show his face it's not gonna, they showed his mouth at the end you know what? i think i actually like that though uh, i think yeah. i actually like that the fact that they barely showed jd salinger uh, had an old ass picture of him you know and just for everyone know jd salinger died in 2010 so technically he never see this movie either <laughs> <laughs> No, but I like the fact that they kind of reclose. It kind of, kind of, it goes in line with a lot of what he is and was. Okay. During his uh-huh. latter years. Hmm. Yeah. Altogether, we give this movie five point five out of nine. Not a bad score, right in the middle. Wouldn't call it any better. Would I say you'll go see it? Yes. Go see it if you enjoy. Oh, and I did give I did give a black count. There were five black people in this movie. Five. Yeah, there was. I think. Yes, I think yes. I saw two. They're they're all on the corner. She passed them by, but there were five people in this movie. They were black. It's much more integrated New York than Friends. I think that I think there's even one black person that was in the that was in one of the cafes. What are you talking about? Much more integrated than friends. Ross dated a Chinese woman, apparently, who wasn't very. The weirdest thing about friends is Ross did a lot of racial women and the whole thing. But it it all comes down to him coming back to Rachel. The rest of those morons did not date anybody. What? I think it was. Uh, Joe, he dated um the the Italian girl. Eh, sound like Fran. Everybody Let's else. Let's be honest here. Joey and Phoebe would be the only two who would be the most indiscriminate when it comes to racial relations. But they didn't go with anybody else except their own. Oh yeah, because it's NBC and Friends. But if they, they were, but real they made people. Ross go with an Asian girl, a black girl. I mean, he went around. But kept coming back to rage. Yeah, you know what we call that? We call that a simp. <laughs> Just saying, the dude harbored a crush on her since high school. Ugh. Nothing romantic about that. Sadder. Just not- but <laughs> that is our that is our score for today for this one. Please, everyone. Come out, and if you want to see this movie, give your rating of this movie. Check it out. Put it in the comments, and let us know how you feel about the Salinger years. J.D. Salinger, Jerry is—I found his name was actually Jerome, but they called him Jerry. Interesting, Jerry. Hmm. Once again, we have social media, but if you want to check us out, why don't you get on social media? And Marvin, let them know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at starvinmarvin09 at on Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> at Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram. Auntie Vice. I'm on Auntie Vice on most social media, auntievice.com, and check out my podcast, Fat Chicks on Top. Coming out on Monday. Yes, yes. with Mir Green from Wicked Grounds. Yes, I could, I could see she's butting into my show yes come you can find me on iambic zine that is i-a-m-b-i-c c the third letter z the last letter or zebra i-n-e 
Uh, also, come on and check out um, Loudmouth. If you are in the Sacramento area, come on, check out Loudmouth on July 20th. We are having two comics and one poet on stage all together rocking the house. We're going to have laughs. We're going to have some sadness. We're going to get you all thinking. And you can go get your tickets there at Eventbrite or at Stab Comedy Theater. July 20th, 8.30. Come down. For real. Come down. We're there. And we'll also be on streaming services. Now, for everything else, please check us out on Iambic Poetry Podcast, where we'll have more and more shows. Our next one we're going to do is called Dr. Bird Advice to Sad Poets. I know it sounds strange, but... We're gonna see how bad this is a this is my pick. So oh God, don't don't let this be bad on my account. Because <laughs> I know I'll get I'll get the worst. So just just as long as you're in between, just make sure you're just in between um my Salinger years and also um speaking poetry, I'll be fine. If you're above that, even better. Hey, as long as it's better than the long 2020, you'll be okay. I, I still want to. I still want to figure out. It, does Mulan twenty twenty go under speak to me in poetry, or is it about a notch up above it? Because I think you gave it all zero. Oh, it's under speak to me in poetry. It's under. It's in a it's six feet deep. Okay. Good. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're out of here. Check us out. Like I said, once again, check us out on our next episode. Well, we'll actually have a guest. We will have a guest for the next episode of Real Poetry. Take care, everyone. Peace. Peace.